ಶುಕ್ಲಾಂಬರಧರಂ ವಿಷ್ಣು ಸಚಿಬನ್ನ ಚದುಭುಜ ಪ್ರಸನ್ನವದನು ಧ್ಯಾಘ್ನೋಪಶಂತ ಅನಂತ ಸಂಸಾರ ಸಮುದ್ರತಾರ ಗುರುಭಕ್ತಿಭ್ಯ ಸಾಮ್ರಾಜ್ಯದ ಪೂಜನಾಭ್ಯ ಶೋಕನಾಶನಂತಾಯುದೇವಾಯ ಹರೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ನಮಸ್ಕಾರ ಮಾಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಯು ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಅ ಡಿವೈನ್ ಕಮಾಂಡ್ ಆಫ್ Maruti that we are recommencing our satsangam after more than 3 months with the blessings of all our devoted elders acharyas and purnavatara parabrahman paramatma shri krishna our guru ayyappan we will soon very briefly review later in this session some context on the available history on pujya shri narayana teertha who lived a fairly long life 1650 to 1745 his remarkable mastery over the sanskrit language vedantic expertise and scriptural proficiency knowledge of sangeeta shastra and natya shastra and also karnataka sangeetam as we know today after invocation and paying obeisance to shri teertha we will see how narayana teertha invokes the help of shri mahaganapati or vinayaka and also to vinata sutar garuda to guide him on the daunting task ahead of him let us first do the customary salutation to shri narana teertha as per sankirtana sampradaya 
ಶ್ಲೋಕಸ್ ಐ ರಿಸೈಟೆಡ್ ನೌ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ವಿತ್ ಯದಂಗ್ರಿ ಪಂಕೇರು ರೇಣು ಲಗ್ನ ಆರ್ ಪೇಯಿಂಗ್ ಹಾಮೇಜ್ ಟು ದ ಗ್ರೇಟ್ ಗುರು ಅಂಡ್ ದ ಏಜ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಶ್ಲೋಕಸ್ ಇಸ್ ರಿಪೋರ್ಟೆಡ್ಲಿ ಟೂ ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ ಪ್ಲಸ್ ಇಯರ್ಸ್ ದಿ ಆಥರ್ಶಿಪ್ ಈಸ್ ನಾಟ್ ಆಥೆಂಟಿಕೇಟೆಡ್ ಬಟ್ ದೀಸ್ ಹಾವ್ ಬೀನ್ ಅ ಮೇಜರ್ ಪಾರ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಸಂಪ್ರದಾಯ ಸಂಕೀರ್ತನ ಸಿನ್ಸ್ ದ ನೈನ್ಟೀನ್ ಸೆಂಚುರಿ ಇನ್ ಸಮರಿ ಐ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಸೇ for all the four shlokas i'll give you a very short synopsis by taking the water washing the feet of this great mahan i become or we become purified and become able to realize my atma swarupa reciting his nama once is equivalent to reciting a 100000 times the sound of omkar ಓಂಕಾರ ಲಕ್ಷಾಧಿಕಂ ಈಸ್ ಅ ಗ್ರೇಟ್ ಆಚಾರ್ಯ ಹೂ ಹಡ್ ಕಂಡನ್ಸ್ ದಿ ಎಸೆನ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ವೇದಿಕ್ ಟೀಚಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ಆಫರಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಶ್ರೀ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಅಂಡ್ ದೇರ್ ಬಾಯ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಲೀಲಾ ತರಂಗಿಣಿ ಅಂಡ್ ದಸ್ ಡಿಸ್ಪಲ್ಸ್ ಮೈ ಡಾರ್ಕ್ನೆಸ್ ಅಸ್ ದ ಫೋರ್ ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಆಚಾರ್ಯಸ್ ಭಕ್ತಿ ಜ್ಞಪ್ತಿ ವಿರಕ್ತಿ ಸಂಜ್ಞ ಮಧುಲಂ ಕನ್ಯಾತ್ರಯಂ ಪ್ರಾಪಯ ಶ್ರೀ ನಾರಾಯಣ ತೀರ್ಥ ಸದ್ಗುರುವರಂ ತಂ ನೌಮಿ ಮುಕ್ತಿಶ್ರೀಯೈ ಐ ಪ್ರೇ ಟು ದಟ್ ವೆನರಬಲ್ ಶ್ರೀ ನಾರಾಯಣ ತೀರ್ಥ ಸದ್ಗುರು ಹೂ ಎನ್ಕಂಪಾಸಸ್ ದಿ ಎಕ್ಸಾಲ್ಟೆಡ್ ಸ್ಟೇಟ್ಸ್ ದ ತ್ರೀ ಸ್ಟೇಟ್ಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಆರ್ ಎಸ
for ultimate realization. What are the three states? Bhakti, which is devotion. Gyapti. Gyapti is a recollection. And finally, Vrakti or Virakti. That is disengagement from everything. So, in the order, it is devotion, recollection and disengagement are essential requirements to reach the feet of lotus feet of Bhagavan. So, in the salutation, it says, I pray to that venerable Mahan who already encompasses the three exalted states of Bhakti, Nyapti and Virakti so that he will guide me in my revelation as my Acharya. So, this is actually a Sadguru Charanagri on Narayana Tirtha. When we enjoyed the 100 Dasakams of Narayaniyam in uh, 146 sessions earlier, we consciously often digressed unto Srimad Bhagavatam since that happens to be the foundation and inspiration for Narayana Bhattadiri to venture Narayaniyam, summarizing the Magnum Opus Bhagavata Purana. Such conscious digression helped us refer to numerous Upanishads, Itihasas, Sutras, Samhitas and also Nalayara Divya Prabhandam to cite a few scriptures which we enjoy. Albeit, we superficially attempted to highlight the import, purport and sentiments of the 1036 Lokams of Narayaniyam. The Purnavatara Parabrahman Shri Krishna has been the fundamental motivation and the ultimate marga for thousands of sages, seers and saints starting with sage Krishna Dvaipayana Veda Vyasa in Dvapara Yugam. And unto all wars, sons and acharyas in Kali Yugam. Thus Krishna is the one and only topic that could draw any and all devotees of Sanatana Dharma to deeper self-introspection by concurrently <coughs> attract and prepare children of all ages to learn and practice Sanatana Dharma. Therefore, we chose Krishna Leela Tarangini which covers only the first 58 chapters of the 10th canto of Bhagavata Purana. Tarangani is made up of 12 tarangams or chapters which include 153 songs, some of them short and some fairly long ones. When I say long one, some of them are as much as 8 stanzas. Many of them are between 6 to 8 stanzas. Charanam. In addition, there are 302 exquisite slokas which pack amid themselves wonderful Puranic lore or anecdotes or stories. And there are 31 churnikas which are really like the studded jewel, all of which we refer sometimes very briefly to and often delineate great anecdotes and stories from as many Puranas as possible. So the scope of Krishna Leela Tarangini is so huge. So between the 153 songs and 302 slokas and 31 churnikas, they try to compact, in essence, 58 chapters of the 10th canto of Bhagavata's Purana. 
when she narada tirtha took sankalpam to commence a great opera krishna leela tarangini he invoked giriraj sutasunu that is how he addresses him giriraj sutasunu the dear child of parvati shri vigneshwara just as vedavyasa approached vigneshwara for his guidance also for his blessings and his great help to become his scribe because no nobody could comprehend and write what vedavyasa was about to dictate so one condition vyasa had for any scribe to take his dictation was the fellow who takes his dictation cannot simply write he has to understand every syllable of what vedavyasa says and then only write such an impossible task can only be performed by one person so he goes around and finally finds because he goes to mahavishnu sakshat krishna and says i want to undertake this task and krishna tells him go to gajanana vigneshwara is the only fellow who is capable of doing this scribe for you because you have this condition but when he goes to vigneshwara vigneshwara puts a condition to vyasa i have no problem comprehending what you are going to say but i will write it down very well but you cannot stop i'll be writing fast your dictation has to be as fast as i am able to write if at all you want to break you need to wait when i am sharpening my dantam or the pen with that kind of an understanding vedavyasa dictates in shri great vigneshwara writes a similar thing happens here just like vigneshwara became a scribe there and vedavyasa had to go and seek the blessings i mentioned apparently i think in my previous uh, bhagavatam series narayaniam series that there is a strong belief that the devotee of sanatana dharma have always believed that krishna dvaipayana shri vedavyasa also went to krishna and sought his order to reincarnate in kali yuga so he said to krishna i am bored i need to be back again to only focus on your leela because i went through traumatic experience in my birth as vedavyasa i had so many things happening in my life i was never able to enjoy you in order to enjoy only your leela i need actually janmam in kali yugam bhagwan asked him how many janma you want he says at least i need three incarnations he didn't ask in the first instance he said i want to be born so he is born as vedavyasa was born as jayadeva first then after he completes his assignment he goes back and say i want to be born again because i couldn't complete my assignment then he is born again as chetragnya and not content with what he had done as chetragnya he comes back again as yogi varya narayana tirtha so there are three births of vedavyasa that sanatan dharma devotees believe that krishna dvaipayana took in kali yugam all of this vedavyasa did to enjoy the nama of shri krishna and thereby he sing leela this time musically so let us see how he prays to gajanana to help him complete this great task which he has undertaken now 
into an orthodox family of Gaza near Guntur in Andhra Pradesh, Narana Tirtha acquired proficiency in Sanskrit, spiritual and other literature and also those in Telugu language. He was well equipped in Karnataka Sangeetam as well. His devotion to Bhagavan Krishna was so absolute that he took to sannyasa early in his adult life to pursue his passion of singing Krishna Leela. Since a chronic ailment, a stomach ailment, tormented him, for which the physicians locally were unable to find any cure, Tirtha decided to undergo extensive pilgrimages to temples near and far, Tirtha Yatra, in search of a cure 
and he took only prasadam from the visiting the temples where he visited we have an old adage in tamil in sitavaidyam unave marundu marunde unavu likewise tirtha was only taking prasadam and the prasadam served both as food as well as medicine to cure his ailment finally in his travels he arrived near maharajapuram and he crossed both kaveri and its tributary nadukaveri river and he ended up taking shelter in a vigneshwara temple in nadukaveri in the night he dreamt of uh, bhagavan krishna who instructed him to follow the very first animal he would see on waking up in order to be relieved of his illness the next morning narayan sirtha noticed a shweta varaha or a white boar wandering outside the temple he followed the varaha and walked into bhupati rajapuram a village 4 miles south of nadukaveri the varaha vanished into the venkatesh parmal temple right into the sanctum which Narana Tirtha followed. He stopped at the shrine. Then somehow something told him he should enter and he entered the sanctum. When he entered the sanctum, he had no illness anymore. He found himself totally cured. Tirtha then decided to make this village as his permanent abode for the rest of his life. His fame as a holy personage spread far and wide and in remembrance of the Sveta Varaha, that brought him there to that village that village itself was renamed as varahapuri or the abode of the boar in tamil it became varahur and today due to a bad spelling it is spelt as varagur like v a r a g u r varagur in um, all over the place for those who desire context nadukaveri and varahur can be reached by highway 22 connecting Thiruvayaru and Srirangam. Narana Tirtha was so moved by the Karunim of Bhagavan Krishna that he decided to compose Krishna Leela as an opera. It is said that Lord Krishna sat in his presence and kept timing for the songs by the chiming of his anklets. Narana Tirtha was overjoyed at hearing the constant tingling sounds even if unable to see the little krishna he could hear the sounds of the anklets and he felt the presence of krishna but when he completed the section pertaining to the marriage of krishna and rukmini he realized that the anklets ceased to keep time for any further composition and there was silence that is when tirtha felt that it was the desire of bhagavan krishna that he conclude the opera after rukmini vivaham and thereby the last song which you are all familiar with in the aloke rukmini kalyanam it is actually a ashtamagishi vivaham tirtha's opera made varahur an important divideshama of krishna and krishna janmashtami and shri jayanti are celebrated from the times of tirtha the town and temple have become famous attracting crowds from all over india 
for the um, Uriyadi Utsavamar, we call it as Uriyadi festival. In fact, uh, this Uriyadi festival is nothing but mimicking Krishna Leela, breaking the mud parts containing butter, curds, milk and sweets. So essentially, people now recreate the same Uriyadi or Utsavam into a form of an Utsavam and they put some cash rewards also inside the pot and it is all hoisted and suspended from a height. So the young participants who really want to get the prize, they do exactly what Krishna did in uh, Gokulam in order to break the parts containing butter and curds and all that. That Uriyadi Utsam is very famous in Varahur. In fact, the, the sport was recreated which Krishna and Balarama made famous in Gokulam and Vrindavanam from Dwapara Yuga. It is believed that Barahur Sri Muthuswami Ayur, uh, incidentally those of you who are familiar with the uh, Karnataka Sangeetam evolution, he was a great violinist of that earlier century, hailing from that village. In, in fact, he is 20th century, early, early 20th century was uh, Muthuswami Ayur. He hailed from that village and he was the one who recreated the fervor and festivals and his extended families along with a lot of devotees from all over India as well as overseas to donate to keep the musical aradhana and festivals celebrated without any interruption from his time on for almost 100 years. A few years ago, we were fortunate, Radha and I ended up in the temple. We were shepherded by my brother Sri Sridharan. We visited Varahur en route to Thiruvayaru and later to Uthukadu. It's all happened per chance. We ended up participating in both Narana Tirtha festival as well as Venkatakavi festival in Varahur and Uthukadu respectively. After invocation to Vigneshwara, Tirtha invokes the blessings of Shri Garuda or Vainateyar Vinatasutha. Standing in rapt attention and reverence in the sanity of Shri Venkatesha Parmala Varahur. So not only he invoked Ganesha for strength to complete the opera, he also requests Garuda to help him complete his mission. Amruta Kala Sahastam Amruta Kala Sahastam Sipateriyana Ketum Amruta Kala Sahastam Sipateriyana Ketum சுரரிபுனிவாரிம் Pranabhutam Nikamamaya Subhangam Nikamamaya Subhangam Bhavayani Aptakamam Nikamamaya Subhangam Bhavayani Aptakamam Vainateyam Virajantam Vittu Vaganam Uttamam Vaikunta Shrayam Annayakayam 
गायामि कामदम गायामि आमनकायम कामदम It's actually Tarangini, Tarangam 1, Invocation, second invocation, right after invocation to Ganesha. To summarize the meaning quickly for time, it says, I offer my salutations to Garuda Bhagavan, who has no desires, since he and Paraman or Paramatman, whom he carries, have become one and the same. They are no different. I salute the exalted Atman. whose limbs are nothing but the auspicious vedas is a beautiful coinage which requires explanation nigama maya shubhangam therefore he has limitless power amita balam limitless power and he is the life of all other lives created by parmatman ashesha praninam pranabhutam for reasons of brevity and time element let me explain important anecdotes relevant to two sets of phrases in this invocation the most important thing being amrita kalasha hastam and then i am also going to talk about uh, nigama maya i mean nigama maya shubhangam is another one which requires definitely explanation in amrita kalasha hastam the mula pramanam for this coin uh, the coinage amrita kalasha hastam means he who carries the kalasha of nectar it is based on mahabharatam आदि पर्व आस्तिक पर्व आदि पर्व सब सक्टिस आस्तिक पर्व चैप्टर्स 18 टू 35 दैट्स अ प्रमाणम फॉर दिस टर्म एंड आल्सो द 35th सर्गम ऑफ आरण्यकांड ऑफ वाल्मीकि रामायणम व्हिच एक्सटेंसिवली डिस्क्राइब्स गरुड़ पुराणम सो आई एम नॉट गोइंग टू टॉक अबाउट गरुड़ पुराणम पर से बट वाल्मीकि रामायणम महाभारतम दे हाईलाइट why amrita kalasa hastam in valmiki ramayanam to be exact those of you are interested it is actually the third canto 35th chapter 27th shloka to 36th shloka i'll summarize the meaning of these shlokas in the form of a story line because shlokas and summarization line by line would take extensively a lot of time This background of Vainateya or Sri Garuda is also called from Vishnu Puranam and Garuda Puranam in addition to Mahabharatam and Valmiki Ramayana. Incidentally, many of you may know that Garuda is referred to as Periyadruvadi and Anuman is known as Siriyadruvadi. While there may be many interpretations or rationale avoided by Sri Vaishnavites, it is believed that Garuda merits the title based on his eternal proximity as Paramatma's Vahanam. whereas hanuman carried shri rama only on a few occasions as vahanam shri garuda descended from shri mahavishnu in this lineage mahavishnu brahma then marichi then kashyapa then in that lineage comes garuda and here again let us see how exactly garuda got that position of being a permanent vahanam for paramatman kashyapa one of the saptarishis is mentioned in vishnu purana as having married the 13 daughters of daksha prajapati 
ये मानस पुत्रा और माइंड बॉन्ड सन ब्रह्मा The thirteen daughters are respectively Aditi, Diti, Kadru, Dhanu, Arista, Surasa, Surabi, Anvinata, Tamra, Krodavarsha, Ira, or Ira we call it, Vishwa and Muni. Whereas in Mahabharatam, the same thirteen wives are having a slightly different name. Mahabharatam quotes them as Aditi, Diti, Kala, Danayus, Danu, Sinhika, Kroda, Prita, Vishwa, Kapila, Muni, of course, Vinata and Kadru. They are common in both the sets of uh, descriptions, both in Vishnu Purana as well as in Mahabharata. The story in Mahabharata about the birth of Aruna and Garuda is very interesting. Kashyapa, who was very much pleased with the service of Vinata and Kadru as devoted wives, asked them to select any boon they desired. He said, I am in a very happy mood. I will give you any boon you require. Kadru chose to have a thousand Nagas as her children, while Vinata chose to have just two sons who would be more powerful and heroic than anybody else and than the thousand sons of Kadru. That was her only criterion. After granting them the boons respectively, Kashyapa retreated to the forest. After some time, Kadru laid a thousand eggs and Vinata just only two eggs. Both of them kept their eggs in hot pots. In the 500th year, the eggs of Kadru hatched and thousand serpents of various kinds emerged out of those eggs. But Vinata's eggs did not hatch by then and the sight of Kadru playing with her children happily pained Vinata so much. She therefore broke open one of her eggs in secret and a half-grown child stepped out of the egg. Very beautiful, I mean, or very handsome, but that child was Aruna, a Garbhasriman. He was very angry that Vinata forced open the egg prematurely because he was not fully formed and his legs were practically non-existent. Aruna said that as a punishment for having maimed him forever in his life, Vinata should become a slave of Kadru. That was the punishment he said. You made me like this for eternity. You shall suffer. But to a pained and repenting mother, Aruna melted and granted a redemption from the curse, thus saying, after another 500 years, the remaining egg of yours would certainly hatch, and a son endowed with exceptional power and prowess will be born to you. You will be proud of him. He will then be able to liberate you from slavery. So saying, Aruna rose to the sky with his inborn powers to become the charioteer of Sun God. You could read that extensively in chapter 16 of Mahabharata's Adi Parva. Let us now see how Vinata became a slave. Let's go to Chirasagar Mantana, Parkadal Kadaidal, when that was happening before Garuda was born. Indra got a horse named 
Uchaisravas from the ocean of milk. Between Kadru and Vinatai, a dispute arose as regards the color of the Uchaisravas tail, Pucha of Uchaisravas. Kadru took a bet and said it was black, while Vinata was asserting that it was white. They further agreed to test the color the next day. So, for the time being, they stopped the fight. I said, we will come and see tomorrow. Each one is betting that she who has proved to be wrong would become the slave of the victor. As the Naga sons of Kadru took various forms in black, small and big, they hung on to the tail of Uchaisravas and the tail appeared to be black from at a distance. Vinata by deceit lost the bet from uh, Kadru and uh, became Kadru's slave because of the fraud committed by Kadru's children. It was at this juncture that Karuda, Garuda was born and he felt highly mortified to learn that his mother has been working as a slave of Kadru. Kadru and her Naga sons once ordered Vinata to carry them to the Naga residence in the middle of the ocean called Ramaniyaka which is stated in Adi Parva Mahabharatam chapter 25 and 26. Accordingly, Vinata carrying Kadru on her shoulders and Garuda carrying Kadru's sons on his shoulders, they all rose up in the sky, but Garuda did not release that slavery or the work of slaves and he carrying with him the Nagas soared so high, he flew up close to the sun's orbit. The Naga children fainted due to excessive heat, almost about to die. But on the request of Kadru, when she pleaded to Garuda, but it will not be of any use, Kadru prayed to Indra and Indra sent very heavy rain and the Nagas regained consciousness from the solar burn. By then they all had reached Ramaniyaka island. So this takes us to the next step of Garuda's attempt in freeing Vinata from bondage or slavery. That's more important for the Amrutakala Sahastam. Garuda extremely pained at the pitiable plight of the mother one day asked Kadru what price she and her children were demanding for freeing Vinata from slavery. And Kadru said, get me Amruta from Devaloka. That's the only trade-off and then I'll let your mother go free. Garuda decided to get it and informed his mother about his decision to fly to Devaloka and bring Amrita. But that's such a great distance. But what about food till he reached Devaloka? How is he going to remain uh, powerful, energetic because he will be hungry? For thousands of years he had to do the travel. Vinata solved the problem by advising Garuda to eat the Nishadas on the way because anyway, you will be meeting you will be meeting a lot of Nishadas en route to Devaloka. Particularly when you reach an island called Nishadalaya, that is where you have thousands of Nishadas there. You can eat all of them. At the same time, she warned him, she forbade him from eating on any account Brahmins, perchance who might be there in Nishadalaya as part of the habitants of the island. He was wondering how to distinguish Brahmins from others. So he asked the question to his mother and his mother Vinata replied by pointing out 
that the Brahmins will burn the throat of anyone who tries to eat him. So like fire, your throat will be burning if you end up but perchance eating the Brahmins, don't swallow. Please see that they are let out casually. Then Vinata blessed her son that his wings would be protected by Vayu, the lower half of his body by sun and moon, the rest of the body by the Vasus. And this is all described in a Purana called Neelamata Purana, which is also called Kashmir Mahatmya. And Vinata said his head will be protected by Agni, thereby no fire can affect him. She also promised to wait in the same place until her son returned. Even though she will be doing slavery, she will hopefully wait for him to come back. So Garuda goes to Devaloka. After saluting his mother, he sets quest for Amrita. All the fourteen worlds shook at the lashing of his wings. He reached Nishadalaya, where while consuming whole lots of Nishadas, perchance by mistake a Brahmin and his wife also happened to get into his throat. But Garuda, because of the power conferred in him, felt their presence immediately in his throat and requested the Brahmin and his wife to get out of his mouth unscathed. Luckily, they were unharmed. They came out, they thanked Garuda, but they also blessed Garuda with boons and from there he continued his journey or mission to Devaloka. Next Garuda reached the forest where his father Kashyapa was engaged in Aghoratapas. Garuda tells his father about his mission and requests him for something to eat. Kashyapa replied, you see a pool wherein an elephant and tortoise are living for long as sworn enemies. That's the place you need to go. I'll tell you the story why they will be your food. Long ago, two brothers, Vibhavasu and Supratika, were constantly quarreling over their paternal wealth. And they, at the height of it, Vibhavasu cursed Supratika to become an elephant. And in turn, Supratika cursed a counter curse on Vibhavasu that he should turn out to become a huge tortoise unable to move that easily. So Kashipa tells Garuda, you my son, you may eat both the elephant and tortoise because they have been like this for long, at least they will have emotional and your food also will be available there right in their body. So finish them and finish their curse also. Release them from their painful lives and curse. So Kashipa wishes him, may your journey for Amrita be crowned with success. Garuda then after saluting his father, flew up in the sky carrying in his beak the elephant and the tortoise from the pool. As trees were falling uprooted due to the terrific vibrations caused by the lashing of his wings, Garuda did not find a convenient place to sit down and to eat his food. While continuing the long journey, Garuda saw a huge tree with its branches spreading out in circumference of a hundred yojanas. One yojana is eight miles. So eight hundred miles was the circumference of the branch. I am not talking about the tree, the branch itself. But as soon as Garuda set foot on the branch of the tree, the branch crumbled and broke. On that broken branch were 60,000 hermits, otherwise known as Balakilyas, each one the size of half a thumb. So they were also, in, in Mahabharatam and in three other Puranas, they say Ardha Angushtam. A thumb is this much and a half of Angushtam is the size of this Balakilyas. 
So 60,000 Balakilyas were hanging on the branch of the tree. They were doing tapas, hanging their heads down. Fearing that the sages might fall down, Garuda carefully continues his flight, holding in his beak the torn branch of the tree on his beak, and he could not find a safe place to deposit the branch with the 60,000 sages. So he came again to Mount Gandhamadana, the mountain on the southern side of Mount Meru, according to Varaha Purana. And Shah Kashyapa again, his father, who in turn apologized to the Balakilyas on behalf of his son and explained to them about his mission and why he had to disrupt their tapas in the form of the branch falling because that was not the mistake of Garuda. His weight was so much the branch broke but in order not to disturb them he was carrying them along with them. The Balakilyas were so pleased with the explanation and they wanted to give a lot of boons to Garuda but they said well, first of all we will leave the tree and we will go to Himalayas don't worry about us. As advised by Kashyapa Garuda deposited the branch of the tree on an uninhabited mountain peak in Himalayas and then Garuda finishes eating the elephant and the tortoise and thereby gives Shapam emotionum to both Vibhavasu and Supratika and then flies to Devaloka. All this is explained in Adi Parva of Mahabharatam chapter 29 and 30. Balakilyas had previously cursed Indra. That is a little bit twist here. Even before the arrival of Garuda, Bad omens began appearing in Devaloka. He didn't even have to reach Devaloka, but already the omens were appearing. Indra asked Brihaspati for an explanation of what's happening about the, what is this ill omens? Everything is bad. Brihaspati, with his divine power, saw Garuda approaching Devaloka, especially for the Amrita part, and he told Indra, Hey, you don't know the powers of Garuda. Garuda was born out of the powers of the tapas of Kashyapa and also the Balakilyas who have given him so much power. He also told that such a fate as the present one befell Indra due to a curse of the Balakilyas. That is where we come to know of the story of Balakilya. Indra and the other devas stood guard over the part of Amrita ready to repel all possible attacks. There was a reason for Garuda's birth from the powers of the tapas of Balakilyas and also for Indra to be put into the present predicament due to the curse of the Balakilyas. Kashyapa Prajapati a long time ago began a terrific yajna for a son, son like Garuda. And Indra and Balakilyas who numbered 60,000 were deputed by Kashyapa to collect firewood for the yajna. He gave the orders to both Indra and Balakilyas. The Balakilyas were only the size of half a thumb, I told you, Ardhangushtam. And Indra, who very easily collected all the firewood needed for the Yajna, laughed at the tiny Balakilyas at their size as they were carrying small twigs for the Yaga. Angered at the insult, the Balakilyas removed themselves to another place nearby and began a yajna directed only against Indra. Indra, alarmed, sought the help of Kashyapa, who then held peace agreement with Balakilyas. The Balakilyas then transferred their yajna shakti or yajnic powers 
to Kashyapa and they said we will be satisfied with the condition that as a result of Kashyapa's yajna when he finishes, a son should be born to him. That son would should be invincible and he should be able to defeat Indra. Only then we will take the curse back. Indra was very happy at that time. He felt relieved at then and there because they left him uh, scot-free. But it is not so because the boon that was given to the Balakiliyas by Kashipa was when the son is born to him, that son would be invincible and he will be able to defeat Indra. Enough that he was able to escape the wrath of the Balakiliyas, Indra went about his duties. After the Ajna was over, Vinata was blessed by Kashyapa with a son that he became exceptionally strong and powerful. That's the background of how Garuda inherited the power of Balakiliyas given to Kashyapa. This is in chapter 30 of Adi Parva in Mahabharatam. Actually, we are coming to the final conclusion of Amrita Kalashapaharanam. Garuda approached the part of nectar and Vishwakarma who attacked him first on behalf of Indra was felled to the ground. The dust arm raised by the waving of Garuda's wings blinded everybody. The Devas and Indra, even the sun and the moon lined up against Garuda but were defeated and Garuda entered the particular place where the part of nectar was kept. Two terrific wheels were rotating around the pot and they would cut into mincemeat anybody who tried to lay hands on the part and a machine was circling the wheels. Below the wheels were two monster serpents with glowing eyes and protruding trunks like the dragon that we see. I mean, the Chinese dragon is just only a small example, but these are huge dragons like flashes of fire. When they emit, along with the tongue, they will emit fire. And the serpents never close their eyes, ever. They were guarding the whole thing. The very look with those eyes was enough to poison anybody to death. Garuda blinded those eyes by raising a torrent of dust. And he pierced them in the middle with his beak. And through that hole, his body reduced to such a tiny shape, went nearer to the pot. He destroyed the wheels because he was able to go between the pinions because of his size and the machine and everything else contraption was broken down and he carried the part of nectar in his beaks and rose to the sky shielding the light of the sun by his outspread wings. Mahavishnu who became so much pleased with the tremendous achievements of Garuda came to him and said, you can ask me any boon, I am impressed. Garuda requested Vishnu that he should be made his vehicle permanently until Pralaya and rendered immortal without his tasting Amrita. He says, I should be immortal. I should be forever with you. You should never leave me alone. In the process, I don't need to taste Amrita. Bhagavan said, all your boons are granted. Vishnu, after granting the boons, he said, okay, you can come and join me. He said, no, 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 I have some job. Let me finish and come. Vajra could not wound his body because that is one of the boons he had. But a feather of Garuda fell in the atmosphere when Indra was trying to hit with the Vajrayuda. Of course, the Vajra was able to hit the wings of Garuda. But only a feather fell in the atmosphere. Everybody who saw the feather 
acclaimed Garuda as Suparna. In other words, well-winged as defined in Rigveda. Indra was wonderstruck and he approached Garuda and requested that they should be friends in future and the part of nectar be kindly returned. Garuda replied to Indra, hey, the nectar would be returned if I am granted the power to make Nagas my food. I got to eat all the Nagas. If you allow me to do that and you don't come and interfere, I will give you the nectar back. Once again, the stupid Indra, he was so hasty always, he blessed him such that he would live by consuming Nagas. He said, okay, you can eat everybody, all Nagas, but give me my Amrita. But there again, Garuda said, no, 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 don't rush. I am taking this part of Amrita not for my own use. The Nagas cheated my mother and they made her a slave, which you know you are watching when Uchaisaravas was coming out. And my mother will be freed only if this part of nectar is given to them as agreed between Vinata and Khadru. So that was my commitment. I cannot go beyond that. Once my commitment is fulfilled and my mother is freed, you can snatch the part from Nagas once I deliver it to them. I don't care. I shall not object your action from that point on because my contract is my mother to be freed when Kadru receives the pot, from that point on, you can take the pot back. How you take it, it's your business. So Indra and Garuda became friends because of this treaty. And Indra allowed Garuda to do whatever he wanted. He followed Garuda on his way back home as a protective shield. So that Garuda is not affected by anybody else. Indra goes with his power and his sainyam and Vajra, everything protecting Garuda. One may wonder, do you need any power, anything to protect Garuda because he has the blessings of Paramatman, but the Puranas say like this. Now you can appreciate as to why the learned Narana Tirtha used the coinage term Amrita Kalasa Hasta. We will see in the next session the Pramanam from Valmiki Ramayana as can be seen from Aranikanda 35th Sargam, Slokas 27 to 36 and also the other anecdotes behind usage of two other terms that Naranatita uses such as Nigamamaya Subhangam and Chandomayena Garudena. Narayana 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 Hare Krishna Guru Ayurpa Narayana